This is Geek Gab with your host, Doranol and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Monday, August 21st, 2023. And uh, man, let's hit the ground running. Um, you were telling me you were eager to kill player characters or something? Was I? My goodness, I love doing that. Look, I'm not one of your adversarial dungeon masters, but I cannot deny that little feeling that you get when the dice just come up the wrong sides and some poor player's got to start fresh. Maybe I'd feel bad if it were more than a first-level character. Um, but... Uh, I'm feeling good. I had the uh, the Trilopulus crew uh, wanted to have me back for another game session this week, so we played again. I was the dungeon master. I had a great time. Uh, but uh, this time it didn't go quite as well for everybody, uh, and we lost two players. One of them, uh, Comatose, uh, played by, well, that was you, Daddy Warpig. Um, yes. So you you were your character was not killed, but you were knocked out of the adventure right at the beginning, yeah. and uh, at the end of the adventure, uh, we lost another character, a poor cleric, uh, to an orc's axe swing. Um, kind of unfortunate, really. Uh, kind of, kind of a kind of a tactical thing. So th this isn't one of those. This wasn't one of those things where the players did something really stupid and deserved it, uh, but it also wasn't blind luck at the same time. But anyway, uh, it happens. Felt uh, uh, I had mixed feelings about it. Uh, so, what did you think? Uh, unfortunately, you were mostly a spectator for that for most of the uh, session. How did it go? Um. Well. As far as you know, playing character who got who got knocked out almost immediately—that's just the way the dice roll. I rolled a one for my hit points. Fortunately, I had a—I was a fighter and I was playing a healthy, had a healthy uh, constitution. But you know, with four hit points, one hit can take you right out. Mm. You just have to accept it and roll with it. If you're not really willing to do that, then you shouldn't be playing AD&D. You should be playing something else. Which, which is funny because uh, Games Journalist was whining about Baldur's Gate 3 complaining that, uh, you know, it has, it has like literal random number combat. It doesn't have first person shooter combat like fallout or uh you know skyrim or something and so he was complaining because he's like i started a combat and and a goblin came out of nowhere and killed one of the characters just right off the bat and i'm like dude you're playing fifth edition anyway <laughs> yeah how much easier do you want it to be <laughs> So Baldur's Gate 3 uh, is a 
implementation of fifth edition D&D then. Yes. Just like Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 were second edition. Wow. And uh and I gather uh, I got I gathered today that there are people who are very upset because they for the first time in all their years of playing fifth edition they're finally playing a game that actually adheres to the rules and the numbers and the dice rolls yeah except they they added in like a critical failure thing for rolling a one which is not part of the game um and we've had good arguments against that being a good idea um but yeah, other than that, they, they, they're they not rolling with a GM who's going to fudge dice rolls for them. The game does not fudge dice rolls. Oh my goodness. And when I think of the type of person who loves D&D and the type of person who would play and, and love Baldur's Gate and all the all the dating sim nonsense that's infested computer RPGs since at least the days of Dragon Age, there's a big overlap there. And I'm just going to go out and say it. All of those people deserve everything they get. They deserve everything they pay for with Baldur's Gate. Yeah, apparently it uses, you know, turn-based combat. So... It's not real-time combat. You have to maneuver your characters on the board and set up and think tactically. And, you know, it, it's unexpectedly harsh for some people to take. Meanwhile, wow. I'm back here with like, hey, my fighter got taken out in one blow. You know, one more hit point and he would have been dead. And I'd have been like, eh. Absolutely. And there was room. There was room for that to happen. Um, when uh, when people compare the the damage range of weapons versus the hit points range of first level characters, you go, oh yeah, just a, a goblin with a knife is terrifying. But yeah, we had a we had a great time. We get we got knocked out. Um, I want to go back to uh, dungeon mastering. Uh, so another session report is in the books, uh, doronal.blogspot.com. I also detailed all the rules and rulings that we made on the crazy assassination uh, where the scout is playing an elf assassin. Uh, once again, he came upon a group of orcs and just wiped a bunch of them out before retreating. Uh, very powerful, very strong. Uh, and it, it looks like it's all by the book. And I detail that in uh, in my blog post that I wrote today. Um, complete with the excerpts from the book to show it. So uh, you, those of you who are playing AD&D, and this is interesting. Uh, believe it or not, I was just talking to Rick Stump, a veteran, um, veteran dungeon master. Uh, he's been playing longer than I've been alive. Uh, he he just had a birthday himself, and his C word 
campaign, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, just turned 44. So this is uh, this is probably the longest running uh, campaign of all time. And I was asking him about this because I'm searching, I'm searching the internet, um, old forums, blog posts, whatever. Nobody's encountered this situation. Nobody's had Macho Mandalf show up with an elven assassin and say, hey, so I'm going to scout and every time I surprise a group of monsters, I'm going to assassinate as many as I can, right? Uh, apparently this hasn't happened in 40 years. I was just to say, I can't find any other, nobody else's rulings on this, nobody else's information. And and yeah, same thing for Rick Stump. He's He's had a number of assassins in his game do amazing things, but the so so he's familiar with the rules and the and the scenario and he says yeah you know what nobody's nobody's come up to me with okay what if i have a longbow and i want to try to assassinate six guys at once right apparently that's never happened before uh i don't know that blew my mind i think it's cool we find new stuff out about this game all the time stuff that you think someone would have tried by now and if they have, and they almost, they certainly have by now, they just didn't tell anybody else. They kept that dirty little secret to themselves. Maybe they're hoping to get one over on their next Dungeon Master at Gen Con. I, uh... I have no idea what the uh, by the book ruling on that is, because I'll be honest, I'm mostly playing AD&D. I don't have time to, you know, read in depth into all the rules that I would like. Well, reading's pretty dumb anyway, so I don't blame you. <laughs> um, well, 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 the well, the gist of it is, and I I can paraphrase real quick. You can get all the. I, I got light reading for you. My blog post is light reading. Um, the, the gist of it is, um, you're familiar with surprise segments where yes. one party gets to act before the other. Assassins, the class, any assassin can actually assassinate as their attack in the surprise segment. Um, and so the two outstanding questions are okay, so. If my assassin has a readied bow, question number one, do I still get to assassinate? Uh, that answer is yes, unequivocally. Um, the second question is, okay, well, the rules also say that if you have a readied missile weapon in the surprise round, do I get triple rate of fire? Do I get to you know, do I get to assassinate that many times? And those rules are a little ambiguous. Um, if you allowed the full rate of attack and multiplied it by three, you could conceivably attack six times with a bow in the same round. Nine times if you're throwing darts. And for that reason, I said, you know what? That's that's against the spirit of the game. We're not gonna we're not gonna flat out multiply all those attacks. Um, but I did a lot of uh, allow a triple rate of fire. 
so that's that's where we that's where we came with that up with that number. How does that st sound to you? Does that strike you as fair, or or would it be more fair to say no? You only get to do one, no matter what your rate of fire is, or would you do something else? I I in the Trilopolis campaign, I would try to hew as close to the rule book as possible in a putative uh, game where I was house ruling it, I would have assassination be a full round action. To bring a, a third edition term into it. So that even if you're using a bow and you got three attacks, you got two attacks per round with it or darts and you got three attacks per round and a sword, you only got one attack per round it wouldn't really matter because an assassination attempt takes all your planning and it takes all your cunning and you know you'd need to spend your whole round doing one assassination attempt and if and by the way i'm not suggesting you should do this and i'm not suggesting a d and d game masters should do this i'm suggesting they should follow the rule book so um, oh i will but you you have you haven't left the rules yet by the way um and then if you have you know two segments of surprise well then that's two assassination attempts because each segment is basically you get a full round's worth of actions i don't see a problem with that you know if you get three segments worth of surprise then okay you get three assassination attempts but just because you have a bow and multiple shots per uh round or per surprise segment i would still only give them one assassination attempt i think that's a great interpretation um totally within the rules by the way in case you're wondering and uh and i think and i'm going to keep my eye on the situation um, because that might be long term that might be the right or the best answer uh, but the the triple rate of fire uh, has been hilarious and so I'm gonna I'm gonna let it ride for now. Um, I think I think your interpretation is 100% by the book, and or within remember, within the rules. If I remember correctly, he was killing most of those orcs with damage anyway. Oh yeah, he did uh, he did nine assassination attempts over three segments, and uh, I think he he successfully assassinated six of those attempts and the other three he just happened to roll sufficient damage to kill his target so it was it was a hundred percent kill rate on those three segments it was beautiful everybody seemed to have fun including me so let it ride meanwhile i'm at the back of the pack thinking hey guys this is ad and d we could have actually tried to you know parley with them or uh talk to them gotten some information or whatever versus jumping in a room and just starting to kill everybody because that's 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 the ad and d world i mean you especially if you appear to be, you know, in a position of strength, going into a room where there's a bunch of orcs, 
you don't have to run up and you know shake hands, but you can holler at them and say, hey, you know, we're looking for this and that and try to bargain with them or something. If you speak or I don't know if we had anybody in the party who does. Yeah, sure did. And that's the that's the catch 22. Uh, the elves all naturally speak orc, but as an assassin, he wants to he wants to maximize his abilities and uh, and he doesn't want to parlay. He just wants to get off his assassination attempts. So the one guy who's best equipped to make that call is also the one guy who doesn't want to make that call. Muses the heck out of me, that's for sure. Yeah, I think I think people I think that's a conventional play response is to just attack the orcs because you know you're gonna be getting in a fight with them anyway in you know pretty much any other edition of AD&D or any other fantasy game, Pathfinder, whatever. Um but yeah, in AD&D, especially if you've got a high charisma, there's a chance that um, that things don't have to go that way. Absolutely. Uh, and I think there's a lot of opportunities lost if you assume that every encounter is going to be in a, a combat encounter and every combat encounter is going to be to the death of everybody on one side or the other. That's what I was thinking when that was happening. I was like, Ooh, we didn't need to do this that way. I don't blame you. Uh, that it was absolutely an opportunity for something like that. Maybe the party will be in a position to do that in the future. We'll see. So uh, that was uh, that was great. It was a ton of fun. I hope we play it again soon. I don't know if the guys are sick of me yet, but uh, I owe them a bunch of downtime actions, so we're getting some downtime activity. Uh, it's good. It's good. It's been a nice break, anyway. Sort of the calm before the bro the uh, Brovenloft storm. Because we had like six or seven PCs, right? Eight total. And then we had a bunch of men at arms, like five of them. Yep. So we. Our numbers were on par with theirs, and we look, you know, pretty menacing. And we're an adventuring party to boot, so we have magic and other things. Uh, we could have approached them from a position of commensurate strength and gotten. You know, if you look weak to orcs, they're going to attack anyway. But if you look like you can handle them, they're no more eager to just die for no reason than anybody else. You bet. 
Yes. And this is literally what I was thinking as a player. I'm like, man, we could have. We could have done that a whole different way. Mm -hmm. But you had such a cool plan uh, where you were going to bait them into chase down the hall into a pit trap. Well, a shoot trap anyway. That was fun, too. It just didn't work because the assassins do good. Uh, for for those of you who didn't read the session report, the uh, uh, the assassin was so good uh, at picking off orcs as he attempted to bait them into chasing him down the hall uh, that he forced a morale check and they were treated instead. It almost worked. So, well, next time your character's conscious, you should, uh, you'll, you'll have the ability to speak up and change the, uh, change the direction. Oh, well, that's cool. What's, uh, I heard you had some news for me. about D D? No. I was unsubtly trying to switch gears. Oh, okay. I was like, what? <laughs> now you've confused me. Got him. No, but I, I think I really think that that there is a rules framework to I'm sorry I'm 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 I've got thoughts I'm organizing maybe I'll talk about those another time so we'll skip organizing thoughts live on the air um all right wait. fair yeah uh, I just finished playing dying light 2 um, and even though it came out about a year ago, apparently I picked up the right time to start playing it because there was an update in June, which changed a bunch of things uh, to, you know, make it more like Dying Light 1 and add some other stuff and fix big problems with the parkour and other stuff. So it turns out I started playing it at just the right time. And there's some news that came in today. Apparently, I stopped playing it at just the right time, too. Oh, yeah? So, I want to talk about the game, review the game, but uh, Tencent, that Chinese company... Who is? That's buying everything in the video game industry using fake Chinese money um, has apparently bought Techland. Um, again, this is in the last couple of days. They just announced this. So the deal's been in the works for a while. And they just bought Techland and just in time for them to buy Techland, the news came out today that they've added new premium currency microtransactions to dying like two wow. for like cosmetics and stuff 
And I'm, I'm looking at this thinking, wow, putting this news together, I'm like, wow, I've really, really got in and enjoyed the heck out of this game and got out of it all at the right time. Right after it got, you know, mechanically great in June. So that was just, you know, a couple months ago. And I've been playing over the last four or five weeks. And right before Tencent made them crap up the game with microtransactions. Um, unfortunately, I've got, you know, one of the new Xboxes. So I didn't have a chance to check out the new microtransaction because as soon as I finished the game, I had to delete it so I could download uh, something, some other stuff. Because, you know, forget trying to put a sizable SSD in your machine. <laughs> no, don't be silly. And then they, they have these little expansion card SSDs that are all proprietary and, and cost as much as a console themselves if you want to expand the size. It's a hell of a racket. Man. And I, and I just checked again. So I have verified this. So you can actually, you can actually, uh, you know, place your faith in this. I am not made of money verified not to be made of money so i don't own any of those little super expensive expansion ssds and i'm not going to be uh you know so i can't afford to have uh spending money on expanding a tiny one terabyte hard drive when all your games that you're installing are you know upwards of 200 gigabytes Right. It's insane. So, yeah. So, Dying Light 2. Man. Uh, there was a game called Dead Island, which I may have reviewed some yeah, point. Yeah, I think you did. And it was a fun zombie game. It had a great trailer, just a phenomenal, incredible trailer that had nothing to do with either the gameplay or the tone of the game. Um, and it's still a great little CGI movie for those of you who want to go look up the Dead Island uh, trailer on YouTube, the original one. You know, very melodic, very moody, um, very touching and sad and had nothing to do with the game. But the game sold really well coming out the gate because of this phenomenal trailer. And then everybody who bought it realized how full of, you know, bugs it was. So they and, and how absolutely little the trailer had to do with the actual game. So they did re, uh, they did, you know, do bug fixes and everything, and they released an expansion pack that was the same size as the original game, but the company who 
who published it, the publisher decided they wanted to release it as a full price game. So it was Dead Island something or other. I don't remember what the subtitle is. And then they went into wanting to make a sequel. And the guys who made Dead Island, who are Techland, said, okay, what we want to do is this long list of things. We want to do it in a city. We want to focus on parkour. We want to have, you know, all of these good ideas about the game. We want to refine all of those. We want to add all these mechanics and we want to do it something completely differently. And then the publisher said, no, forget you. We're taking the Dead Island name and we're running away with it. And we're going to give it to another company. And we're going to get it right out the door so we can have a, a, a sequel really, really quick. And then it took like 11 or 12 years and four different development companies to get a sequel to Dead Island 2. Oh, wow. Get a sequel to Dead Island, which is Dead Island 2, which just came out this year. Um, and it sold terribly. Meanwhile, Techland took all of their ideas and went off and made Dead Rising. Um, or excuse me, made off uh, Dying Light. And it is, again, a bunch of the same mechanics, um, but focused on traversal, on vertical and horizontal traversal across a city on a day and night cycle, which has a big deal to do with uh, how the zombies, it's a zombie apocalypse game. Have I said that yet? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't think you did, but... I think I just assumed people knew that. <laughs> it's a zombie apocalypse game. It was set in a city called Haran. And this is where the zombie apocalypse first broke out. So they've quarantined the city. And it had a... It had a activity-based experience. That is, when you did parkour, you leveled up your parkour skill. And that leveled up your character. And the way they did it in the original uh, Dying Light didn't work as well as you might want. Because if you leveled up your parkour a lot, that leveled up your character a lot, which leveled up the zombies a lot. But if you hadn't leveled up your combat, you just got pasted. So it was really easy to accidentally find yourself in a city packed wall to wall with zombies you just absolutely could not fight it was still a really fun game and it sold something like 10 times as much as uh dead island um i mean so it it was a really really good seller um techland made uh You know, obviously made a lot of money off of it and then took that money and put it into Dying Light 2 and then spent another seven years developing Dying Light 2. So I played the heck out of uh, Dying Light and I beat the entire game with the exception of one really, really completely evil mission that I just gave up on after pounding my head against it for too long.
Um, and I've been, uh, you know, looking forward to looking forward to the sequel because it really was a lot of fun. You're, and I, I want to describe this. The city has a lot of verticality, and the more you level up your parkour, the higher you can jump, and the easier you can traverse. And so the faster you move, the more tools you have at your disposal to enable your uh, traversal of the city. And then you have devices or uh, I think they call them gadgets that help you uh, in your traversal. And there was a cool story. There were some, you know, at different times you'd have these airdrops that would come down that were people outside the city dropping in supplies and you'd have to race across town to get to this airdrop either before the bad guys did or catch the bad guys there and kill them and get the whole case. Or if you got there late, you could catch the bad guys there and get half the case. Or if you got there way late, you know, it, the, the case had been looted and you lost your opportunity. So there was a lot of opportunities built into the game to use the parkour system, not just in combat, because they had the, you know, parkour four, parkour foo has become kind of a popular martial art in movies uh, in the last 20 years or so. Um, you saw it in born movies, for example. So there's a lot of that in the game, but there's also a lot of, uh, there's also a lot of opportunities to uh, just try and get through the city, avoiding combat, avoiding the zombies, so you can get to these goals. And then there was uh, treasure and other loot and other opportunities available at the top of buildings. And it was kind of a, it's a puzzle, not just because you had to level up your parkour to get there, but then you had to figure out, okay, now where do I climb? How do I approach this? Are there, which of these apparent routes is a real route? Which of them leads to a dead end? And which of them wouldn't have been a dead end if I had a higher you know, if I had had an improved parkour so I could have made a jump further or taller or swung further or use a grappling hook or whatever. So all these options, all of these mechanics, all these ideas from the first game, they brought into Dying Light 2, which came out last year. And they perfected them. They perfected the problem with leveling up so that if you were focusing on your parkour, you weren't, you know, creating a horde of killer zombies that would drag you down and massacre you. They perfected, they, they have that same kind of, you know, rhythm-based combat where you have to wait for an, uh, an enemy to make an attack and then you can block them and then you counterattack that uh, a lot of games do. They have a really good implementation of it. 
Um, and in the sequel, and I'm talking about Dying Light 2, the sequel, um, they have the same wide city traversal, the same uh, verticality, a lot of similar skills, and then new mechanics added in that make the game to give it a strategic play, not just moment-to-moment -moment tactical play. Um, so you, you have combat, you have agility, and the higher your agility, the more stamina you have. And what stamina does for you is it lets you climb longer, it lets you hang longer, and so you can climb taller walls. Or if you have a place that requires, you know, doing some wall running, then climbing up a, um, a ladder, then leaping from pole to pole to pole, if you run out of stamina during that, your character is going to fall, which depending on where, how high you are and where you're falling probably means, you know, damage or death. And so if you focus on the parkour aspect, then you can increase that stamina and it makes it easier to traverse the city. Whereas if you focus on combat, you know, you increase your hit points and you get skills that you unlock for both of them. So there's a very deep, um, there's a very deep skill tree on both of them that you can tailor to your needs. My what I found was that the combat had a lot of skills that were for specific styles of combat. So you'd have ones for, you know, arrows and ones for leaping and ones for doing kind of stuff. Whereas everything for parkour, you need it. You could skip some of the combat ones until later. But you pretty much wanted to grab everything on the parkour tree as quickly as possible, as often as possible. Um, so the setup in this one, in the first game, you're in the first city to get the zombie virus. In this one, the zombie virus has swept the world and the town you're in called Villador is one of the last bastions of humanity left and the town is overrun by zombies and there's walls and the walls are to keep all the zombies outside the city out because it would be even worse if the walls weren't there um sure makes sense and so everybody in the game is settled high in uh, you know, on rooftops or high-end buildings, or uh, they've built 
fortresses, um, and the street level is choked with zombies. During the day, they have, you know, bad zombies, and then during the night, they have absolutely worse zombies. But the benefit of doing it at night is you get more XP for combat and parkour at night. And there are some, they have a crafting system. Of course they do. <laughs> of course um, they do. Well, because you know, unlike most other games, this one makes sense because you are literally um, you're literally cobbling together weapons from scraps you find in the city. I mean, the zombie apocalypse started in 2015 um, and the game is set in like 2020 something uh, or 2030 something. And so there isn't a lot left of industry and everything you make, you have to scavenge. So mm. it, it's one of those rare games where a crafting system actually makes sense. And there are no guns. So it's all down to parkour and hand-to-hand -hand combat. So you're cobbling together weapons and then mods for those weapons. And in Dead Island, they had, you know, an electricity mod you could add to your gun, to your uh, firearm or your melee weapon that you could, uh, actually, I don't think you could to firearms, but to melee weapons, you could hit a zombie with it and it would electrocute them on top of doing other things or poison or fire. Um, it, it is truly, truly, truly a joy to be able to whack something with a sharp axe and then set it on fire at the same time. Or with the really rare weapons that you find or make, you can hook two mods into it. So you could have fire and lightning. Uh, there's also ice or, or venom. And being able to swing an axe at something and set fire to a group of zombies while at the same time you're electrocuting them is 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 truly beautiful game like this uh so in villador you are one of the last human cities left alive your character is a pilgrim pilgrims are people who um they're couriers they run from city to city to uh delivering things or they go out into the wilderness and find stuff and you come into Villador and get caught up in some of the political machinations going on here. There are three factions vying for control of the city, one of whom is an NPC, uh, you know, psychopath faction, and the other one of whom is kind of a militaristic faction or the settlers. Now, one of the new mechanics they introduced is you can reclaim uh, different, you can reclaim like a water plant and have water flowing back to a sector of the city. The town is, is divided up into sectors and different factions have control of different sectors or at the beginning, some sectors have no control at all. They're just 
open. Uh, or you can have uh, an electrical substation and restore power to part of the city, whatever. And when you do that, you get to choose which faction to give control of that utility to, and they gain control of that section. And each, uh, each faction gives you specific benefits based on how many sectors they control, you get better benefits. The peacekeepers, who are the militaristic faction, they give you car traps and things like that to help you kill zombies more. And the settlers give you traversal um, tools. So I went with the settlers and maxed out the settlers because getting across the city was critical for just about everything I was doing. And I just wanted to have all the neat traversal tools. Um, you know, they, they would set up uh, gimmicks that would allow you to jump off a roof, hit this bag, and ride it to the ground so you could land on the ground without hurting yourself. Or uh, zip lines to connect one place to another. Um, or these bounce pads that you could run on and jump on and they would fling you up into the air uh, enough to get to the very first tier of, of buildings so you could escape zombies if you needed to, whatever. Um, and there were a bunch of traversal tools that were very, very useful. I don't know how useful the killing tools were for the peacekeepers because you can't choose. And you can't take your choices back and go back and try all the other ones. So I had to have done another, you know, 50-hour playthrough to see what the other choices were. Oh, that's, yeah. Artificial replayability. Yeah, I just... I just had to stick with traversal because that's that's what I needed. That was my play style. Uh, and the irony is, by the end of the game, I had maxed out my combat, all of the combat skills, and I still hadn't learned a couple of the parkour skills because I hadn't gotten the XP for it yet. And I was out of quests to do. So there's supposedly another DLC coming, so maybe I'll go get that DLC. There's also like legendary skill points up there that I never got to because I was short just two, um, two parkour skills, so I never got to try the legendaries. Um, and again, those are things that were added in June. Um, so it's the just another 20 is, to 50 hour playthrough away. Sure. <laughs> um so the combat is a lot of fun um the mods are fun gathering materials for higher level mods became a real chore they miss they misestimated how easy it was to gather uncommon trophies from zombies. And so I always had plenty of uniques and rares, uh, or at least those were within my grasp, 
whereas it took forever to get all of the uncommons I needed because for the last few, for the highest tier of mod, you needed like a hundred different um, trophies of this one kind of zombie that you could only find in groups of two or three after you fought through a crowd of regular zombies. So it was, uh, it was way more difficult to find uncommon trophies than it was to find rare or uniques. Because you could find a unique just by pointing, you know, pointing your aim at a particularly big, tough zombie and taking it down. You always knew where to go for those. And you didn't need any more than like seven, eight, ten of those for the highest level. But it was a pain in the rear trying to chase down. I found myself at one point farming this one mission because there was something you had to do and it would make zombies stop coming. But until then, a bunch of uncommon zombies just kept coming. And so I just stopped and kept killing zombies. <laughs> so, Man, this is zombies are four. So I could harvest all these uncommon uh, trophies. It got kind of like, you know, if you're doing a playthrough through Mass Effect, and I'm changing subjects here, you always go full Renegade or full Paragon because that's how you get the best um, powers, the most powerful powers. Mm -hmm. I figure that as far as assigning factions control of the city, that was my theory because it looked like the best um abilities you got by maxing out one of the factions so i just didn't even think about it i picked a faction early on and stayed with them um there was a i was looking at something earlier today on the news and i ran across a uh review by a games journalist he was complaining because he couldn't he didn't have the stamina he needed to get to places he wanted. And that's because he didn't do what I did, which was completely ignore the main quest line. Um, unless there was absolutely nothing else to do. What, what kind of, Oh man, games journalists. One more example of how awful they are at video games. <laughs> Everybody does the side quests first. There are hidden around the cities, these things called inhibitors, inhibitors, are what boost up. You can choose to either boost up your health and get more hit points or boost up your uh, stamina and get more stamina. And you have to have certain levels of stamina or health in order to learn higher level skills. So, you know, you start off with like 100 points of health and you have to have 200 points of health to learn a really high tier um a really high tier combat skill and that's like 10 boosters in so you have to work to do it and what he was doing is he was trying to play through the main quest line not trying to find all of the inhibitors or stopping when you hear an inhibitor because you you have this you know, mechanic where you have a sensor on and it'll tell you, oh, you're within 50 meters of an inhibitor. And then you immediately start doing a search. And that's why the traversal was important because you can 
move up and down and left and right to find where this inhibitor was coming from. And maybe you can get it, or maybe you'd have to come back at night and move through part of the city where all these nasty zombies were to get to this place and then go in and get it. Um, but you get the inhibitors, you boost up your stamina, and that's what enables you to get around the city faster and more effectively. I don't know what kind of, he must have been playing on, you know, super hard mode if he wasn't gathering inhibitors as much as possible. Because if you, if I hadn't been leveling up my stamina, which also, um, you know, lets you buy all the great parkour traversal abilities like, oh, uh, you lose less stamina when you're hanging on a wall trying to climb up it, or you can jump higher, jump further, or whatever. I mean, by the end of the game, um, it was great moving across the city was easy because I had invested in finding the inhibitors. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to not explore, I'm not saying you can't win the main quest line doing that. But I don't know how you would because I was always wanting more hit points and I was pretty much always wanting more stamina. And all of the cooler things you could do in the game, you needed more stamina to do anyway. So I just felt bad for the poor son of a gun not realizing that there's this obvious mechanic they tell you about immediately that they put right in your path, that it's almost impossible to traverse the city without running into some kind of beeping, telling you there's an inhibitor close. He, he had to deliberately turn away from it, to deliberately be ignoring all of the advice telling him, hey, go do this. Uh Feeling bad is a bridge too far for any kind of journalist, particularly a games journalist. He got everything he deserved. Perhaps you were just being kind. You can't even level up your skills. You can't even gain new skill points. Even if you're gaining experience, if you're not finding inhibitors and plugging them in, you're not, you'll buy everything that you're qualified to buy. And then you're just stuck there and you're like, well, I have to use these inhibitors now because I can't buy any other skills. I need to go find inhibitors. I don't know. Maybe he didn't take the hint that all the systems in the game were, were pointing him towards, hey, you really need these. These are the core leveling. <laughs> these yeah, man, the these are the same people that can't that complete the tutorial at the beginning of Cuphead. <laughs> so... Yeah, I had a lot of fun. I really enjoyed playing the game. Um, it is better than Dead Rising, or excuse me, better than Dead Island, better than the second Dead Island, or the Dead Island expansion, better than Dying Light 1, and... Uh, The city is interesting. The different districts they have is interesting. The missions they send you on are interesting. And 
if you're willing to invest, the real key to the game, to dominating the game is taking the time to find the inhibitors. But finding inhibitors is fun because it's a puzzle. It's not, I think the term some people use is pixel bitching. Pixel it's, bitching. It's not, <laughs> it's not like searching for that teeny tiny hot spot. At some point during the game, they give you access to these radio towers and they will show you if you've missed inhibitors they will show you inhibitors within a certain diameter of the radio tower you activate and so you can go there and then you know carry on so they don't make you suffer as the city gets bigger your ability to locate things gets better gotcha so other than the sheer difficulty of harvesting uncommon uh, trophies from zombies, um, and I only did that because I wanted to maximize my health regen kits so that when I crafted my own health kits, they were absolutely almost the best in the game. Um, the boss battle, the main boss battle, really uh, uses all the mechanics you've learned in the game up to that point, and you should definitely have maxed out your stats and saved up a bunch of health kits before you get involved in that because you'll need it. But yeah, it's a fun game. Uh, awesome. I mean, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It sounds like everything that you would want out of, uh, you know, that sort of open zombie apocalypse world kind of game. Good and bad. Like, it's everything you expect out of that kind of game. Oh, they have a Paris sale. You can... If you can climb to the top of a tall building, I was able to cheat my way past some climbing puzzles because I just jumped on the parasail. You, you pick this up later on as you're going through the plot and land on the upper level of, of where I was trying to get to and just activate it that way. And they didn't try to stop you with like invisible walls or whatever. And if you had put points into your stamina, you could parasail for longer so you had a further reach and you could get to places better. Um, they it lets you play the game pretty much the way you want to play it um, but there's only two upgrade paths and you definitely want to put points into both there's fortunately there's enough inhibitors and XP in this city that by the time you're done with the main quest line you can have maxed out both of them um, definitely do side quests. Those will give you XP to, to gain new skills. Um, and definitely search for inhibitors because that's your main source of buffing your character to make it so that you can take on taller puzzles and tougher enemies. 
don't ignore what the game is telling you to do. <laughs> if, the, if the developers put a giant red flashing sign over the button, you might want to press the button. Yeah, I mean, sir, it's like it's like going into AD and D and doing the best you can not to train. It's like, no, I refuse. <laughs> you, you, you're not going to be able to level. I refuse. Okay. It'll be first level forever. It is It'll what it is. Suck. Hey, man, you know, just just try to imagine what it's like in the head of a games journalist. Uh, that's It's like watching the life of dogs. I don't know. I'm never going to stop ripping on them. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but, yeah, man, sounds great. Dying like to romp around a zombie apocalypse wasteland. With the parkour mechanics required by uh, games of that type, um, I'm, I knew you would enjoy it. Like you didn't, you didn't send me a spoiler. You're just like, "Hey, we're talking about this," and I was like, "Yep, I know he. Lo- I knew he was going to love it." Um, just tips for people: if you want to pick up the game after hearing this, pick up all the scrap you can and buy every piece of crafting material from vendors um at some point you will start getting enough treasure that it won't enough loot that it won't um that it won't be prohibitively expensive um once you've leveled up some and then the reason why is because later on in the game you actually can make a uh really, really, uh, like at beginning a single shot gun from scrap, but it tastes a ton of scrap. And if you go to like four vendors, you can buy enough scrap to make one of them. And if you improve that blueprint, you'll get two, three, four, eventually five shots from it. And it'll do a lot of damage. And it's a really good backup to have in a fight. If you really need a definitive, you know, punctuation just to lash out some damage so don't do what i did which is look at my look at my inventory and say oh, i have 1500 pieces of scrap the only thing i use this for is to make lock bits and it only takes one piece of scrap for a lock pick why am i even doing this anymore i'm not even going to pick up any more scrap and then you get the boom stick and you realize oh wait that takes a hundred pieces of scrap. I need way more scrap than I'm hauling around. Uh-huh. Good tip. All right, DW. I think we're done for the week. Yep. I'm really, uh, I'm glad to hear about that, that game. It's uh, man, when you mentioned that 11 year development cycle, but uh, you know, I'm glad to hear that you really enjoyed it. And that they're they're well, the, putting. Go ahead. The eleven-year development cycle was for, for Dead Island too. Oh, the other one. The other one, the one that they really, really, just they said no. We don't want to go with this game that turned out to be a super big hit. We want to go with, you know, <laughs> uh. We want to, yeah, it, it started development in 2012 and it came out in 2013, uh, 2023. So, yeah, 11 years. Wow. 
they really, really, really messed up. Um, Dead Island 2 sold 2 million units. Um, and uh, Dying Light 2, Stay Human. Um, Dying Light sold 20 million units. Just the first one. Wow. So in order to take 11 years to make a game that sold 2 million units, they missed out on a game that took four years to make that sold 20 million units. Oh, wow. I'm, I, I'm not doing the math, but it's not good. So they have, that was a large mistake on there. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, I'm done. That was. Um, All right. So the moral of the story, play good games like AD&D and uh, Dying Light 2. Do not play bad games. Like Baldur's Gate or D and D Fifth Edition. That's my verdict. No, actually, I think uh, Baldur's Gate Three is a, re a really good game. People are saying yeah, I've, I've actually heard it's very good. Um, I I did I, I caught a couple of cutscenes of it, and and I know it's not for me, but I hope uh, I hope everybody who buys it gets exactly what they deserve. Um, um, yeah, it's not out on consoles yet, so I it's not even a choice. But I may have to end up buying it, playing it, just to see if it's any good. Or maybe to review. <laughs> well, let me know what you think. But it's not coming out on consoles until like January, February, March. So we got plenty of time. Oh, coming out September 5th is Starfield. Oh, a lot of buzz about that. A lot of uh, rumors about rushed production. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Mark Kern, Grooms, uh, who made World of Warcraft, who led the team that made World of Warcraft, uh, said the uh, made a sliding comment about the menu screen for Starfield, and people got really upset about that. Um, and I, I, I had the same opinion about the menu screen I had when. Uh, um, which is, you know, it's functional but bland. I mean, it's not do? genius. It's, I mean, I think they were going for sparse, tasteful, but it, they just missed the mark. Right. Well, are you going to get that one too? Try that out. Uh, I don't have to pay for it. It's on. Uh, it, Bethesda is owned by Xbox, so all of their games come on the. Game Pass, because I have the Game Pass, um, uh, I don't have to pay any more money for it than I was already paying for the Game Pass, and it's preloaded. Love I it. it. Actually, Love it. technically, I downloaded it twice. Um, uh, I mean, when you first selected preload, they loaded like a hundred megabyte download. Well, I mean, um, the, the the point is that that. You've already got the bytes. You're just waiting for the 
release and the inevitable patches, and then you can play it right away. Yes. Cool. Well, I'd love to hear about that. I'd I'd, I'd love to hear something good about it. It's going to take forever because it's, you know, it's a Bethesda game. I just, (laughs) yeah. So let's go. It's, it's in the night. I could, I could talk about what problems are happening with, with the AAA (laughs) space and how badly AAA developers are complaining because Baldur's Gate 3 made them look bad. Um, (laughs) That's for sure. This this little, this little indie developer made a tweet and he said, Hey guys, you know, Baldur's Gate 3 had a large development team. They had many, many years, you know, don't expect it to be a new standard for every RPG, which for a tiny little indie studio with like five, six people, yeah, you're not going to expect them to make Baldur's Gate 3. But then a bunch of AAA game developers from like Ubisoft and other studios jump on and like, yeah, this can't be the new standard. You can't expect us to do the same thing Baldur's Gate 3 did. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute, guys, just just hold on here, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, you do not get the same slack cut that we give a Unity developer with 10 people who had to kickstart their first game like Larian was doing, you know, 20 years ago or 15 years ago or whatever. You, you, you work for EA and you work for blizzard for the love of crying out loud and you work for ubisoft you do not get the slain same slack so (laughs) but they're upset and then uh apparently ign did a good video about it saying you know here's here's shouldn't you want to raise the bar shouldn't you want to be passionate and man people got even more upset (laughs) That's what the internet is for, unfortunately. Third third time's a charm, DW. I'd like to say goodnight by saying thank you so much uh, for hanging out in Gavin. Uh, it's always a fun show. I hope everybody enjoyed the talk. Um, remember, play good games. Don't play bad games. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time. And don't pre- pre-order unless you're... Uh already paid for it because you have a game pass or uh, right uh, so all right folks thanks for tuning in live uh and we want to thank everybody who tuned in later um you can get us uh just about the same week just about the same time uh youtube.com slash geekgab youtube.com slash geekgab we are signing up for today but don't you worry don't you fret we will be back